As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The U, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through, with the you ain't no bark, dude. Straight dog when we bring the fight, ain't scared of no bright lights. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It is Thursday, close to noon on December 9th, and it's been a big week for the Miami Hurricanes, obviously, and today it was announced that uh, they landed their athletic director Dan Radakovich from Clemson uh, a deal that I was told is uh, upwards of two million dollars he's going to be one of the highest paid athletic directors in all of college sports and really just a, a huge week with Mario Cristobal coming over and what better uh, way to talk about all the things all the changes that have gone on at Miami here in the last week than to have Bruce Feldman, uh, who of course is uh, one of the best writers, our national college football insider at The Athletic, uh, does, works the sidelines for Fox on the weekends. And, and Bruce, you know, being a Miami guy, a Miami uh, grad, uh, I got to ask you just what has this week been like for you watching this from, uh, from afar and, and, well, and chipping in with the coverage as well and breaking some news for us? It's been a little surreal, Manny, I think, just because – like, I think, you know, you you and I have known Mario Cristobal for a long time, right? And it's it, like this, in a lot of ways, felt inevitable. Um, you know, I can think back to when he took over at FIU. Um, I, you know, remember, it was coming off like the Don Strzok, like startup. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, like people don't realize unless you visited it, what an abysmal situation it was, right? And so I remember like some stuff pops into my head. Like I remember going to get something to eat with him and he like, we went to some strip mall near there and he saw like a guy who was probably about Andy staple size. And he was like, <laughs> basically like trying to see if he was a student on campus. Cause we could use him as a lineman. He had no idea if he could move or not. Right. But it was mm-hmm. like, that was the level of where that, where that was at at the time. And I just think back of, you know, even when the job came open, when, when Manny Diaz got it, uh, three years ago, I, my crew was doing the Red Box Bowl and Michigan State was playing Oregon. And as you remember, like that was a yeah. Sunday night deal. They got it. They they hired Manny. But I kept on thinking, man, 
the timing's you know just bad for for Mario because if we know where his heart always was, um, but at the same time, like I think he really he knew that those players at Oregon, um, you know, Tyrell Crosby among you know one of the leaders of that's really pushed for him to get the job right. And so I think there was, he, he really was connected with, with Oregon, but to see this kind of play the way it has, um, you know, Miami made huge moves. You know, I read your story probably a week ago about, you know, where, you know, it's a good explanation explainer for people who are in South Florida who aren't following the program, where, what has changed for them financially, right. With the U health and, mm-hmm. and that massive influx of cash or money. So I just think it was, a lot of stuff coming together, and now the now as as Mario said the other day at his press conference, now the real work begins. Yeah, yeah, and I I can tell you I, I went over I gave him a bro hug, which he's he's given me for for the twenty years that I've known him working the high school sidelines for the Miami Herald down here, and and the first thing out of his mouth was, hey, I need to talk to you about this roster. So he's gonna tap every resource to get as much information about Miami, even though he's I'm sure he's watched them from afar and and breaking down his own film but that's just the guy mario is he wants to know everything about what he's inheriting and how to attack it and he's even you know asking guys like me who just just dumb reporters you know for for, for some insights um bruce look i, I want to get into all of this with you but i think you know having you on here i know you and Stu obviously do the the flagship podcast for us at the athletic and, and people get to hear you and you guys talk about the canes every now and then when news comes on but this is unique for Hurricanes listeners who obviously know that you're connected to the school, but they may not know when you went to school there, what you experienced, all that kind of stuff. Um, can we start with that? And then we'll dive into all the coaching and all the other stuff that people want to talk sure. about. We'll start with the history of Bruce Feldman, the Hurricanes, and your experience being around the program where things were much better than they've been for the last two decades. Yeah, I transferred in um, right after they beat Alabama in uh, – 1991 it was mid-semester and I just remembered you know at like that point I thought of walking onto the team I went through the process in the beginning and I you know what's funny is um I don't know if I want to tell this story at this point it's like it's a, it's a Greg Mark story because Greg Mark was obviously a great player he was an all-american at at Miami he had just finished up and um I remember going like I was in the in the um, training office and with a bunch of other walk-ons, they could have been all kickers. I don't know. But at the time I, you know, I was, you know, going to walk on to try to play receiver, not really try to play, but just to try to be a part of the program. And um, so, but I remember Greg Mark asked some of the guys there in a very, you know, not welcoming tone is like, what are you going to hear? Try to play here or whatever. And I remembered when I said receiver, he goes, well, I'm a defensive back. And he goes, everybody wants to play here because we put, I don't know if I can say this on your podcast, we put bleep in the dirt. And <laughs> he said it a couple of times. And I was like, I know who Greg, I knew who Greg Mark was. You know, obviously I knew he was a great player and he was a defensive end. But, you know, fast forward uh, probably like 10 years later, um, maybe not even 10 I was doing a story for ESPN Magazine on Dan Morgan. They had just beat Florida State. You know, to me, Dan Morgan was—it's hard to call somebody underrated when they just went in the Hall of Fame. But I don't—I right. I feel like people don't realize just how special he was, and everything about him was, I think, a big part of what Miami was. And so I went to his 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 family's house. Um, I want to say it was in Coral Springs, maybe, and um, 
you know, his, his dad was there and I really hit it off with the family and Greg Mark had recruited them, him. And so I was in Greg Mark's office and he goes, Hey, good to meet you. And I was tempted to say, yeah, we actually met once before a long time ago. And I had, uh, Dan, I had once told that story to Dan Werner, who had been the offensive coordinator at UM. And this is like years after he'd left and goes, you should have told him. And I was like, ah, so, but so the point is, so back when I was at UM, like I remembered, you know, Gino was a quarterback and it was, it was, uh, you know, Dale Dawkins. And there was like, you know, you had a bunch of players. And I remember uh, Leonard Conley, who was like, you know, super tough little running back was in one of my classes. You know, you, it was, as you know, it's like small classes, right? It's just like, it was a different, different vibe of the place. And so Mario and I, Mario and I are about the same year or so. So it's a long time to, to, you know, to be connected to somebody and have seen his past from, you know, being, being an entry level GA to going with Shiano to Miami, to coming back to hearing how he talks about the place. Like he is kind of embodies, like he's kind of the, the seed of the program in a lot of ways. Right. Because he grew up when Miami got great, you know what? He's not like Melvin and Alonzo who kind of were like, they they kickstarted it but they were like wasn't you know when they were kids miami wasn't what miami was well when mario was that was you know he knows that side so it's funny because all these things and i don't mean to try to hijack the question in this regard but like in the first year willie taggart had mario was on that staff at oregon and i went to we we did the i think it was their second game they played nebraska and so i went to his house for dinner and by coincidence, Matt Britton, who is an old, I don't know if you remember that name, old Columbus linebacker, who was like, you know, I think it was like a Golden Gloves boxer, was like definitely the last guy anybody wanted to mess with around there. And also, um, God, I want to say Edgar Bennis, but it's not. It's, um, I'm blanking on our, it was like, he was a great, Carlos Huerta. Right. Was, they were at his house. And just by, by like weird coincidence, the 30, one of the 30 for 30s came on. So to like sit in the room, you know, when this is kind of, you know, with people who like lived the history as they did and kind of the sons of it was kind of pretty cool. So um, I went to I went to Miami. I didn't start there, but I did end up graduating from there. And, you know, it was like I always say this to people, especially like to some of my friends are in the media who I don't think they fully get what Miami was like. They get that there was great players. They get a lot about it, but like, you know, when people talk about alignment, like that was a buzzword last week when Lincoln Riley got, got the USC job. And it was a buzzword when Brian Kelly took LSU. Miami didn't have alignment for a long time, but Miami didn't have alignment when Jimmy Johnson was there. Right. I mean, those are legendary stories of like the president that Tad foot, you know, like they hated each other. Right. Mm -hmm. So Miami didn't have great facilities. It's not to say that you don't want those things, but I think people like the, the biggest thing that I think Mario brings is in the use, you had a cool little detail a minute ago where you're just like, he wants to pick your brain to get any little Intel he can. And that's how he is. Right. Um, and I think he is so consumed with recruiting. The, the one kind of common ground I was around Ogeron a lot especially, you know, at LSU, but like those two guys are look at recruiting differently than any coaches. I know I'm not saying there aren't other great head coaching recruiters, but I don't think either one has ever put a pick, put a golf club in their hands. Mm -hmm. And what's your hobby recruiting? They're all about it. You know, it's like that 
is how they are wired. Right. And so, um, it's a really, you know, like it's a really interesting time. I mean, I, I do want to say like, you know, I, I felt bad for Manny Diaz cause he got dragged through on this. You know, a lot of people will say, well, he's going to make a ton of money on the, on the back end on the payout. And I was like, yeah, I get it. But it's like, you know, the team never quit on him and I thought he never quit on them. Um, but I think obviously Miami fans are looking at it going, well, look where it got us and look where we are now. And look, I mean, as you know, you know, better than me, like the roster, like the guys there feel like they have an NFL quarterback. When was the last time, you know, you've been around Miami a long time. When was the last time we thought, you know, this was the case? Well, I think, I think they felt that way in the beginning about Brad Kaya for a while, but it, it never really materialized. You know, Brad didn't, didn't sort of bloom into that great quarterback that you know generational quarterback it feels different now with Tyler Van Dyke it feels like this is the right offense to be running that feels like he's got the receivers and the skill players around him where this may not take very long with Mario in charge for them to win and you just look at the rest of the ACC and say well Pitt's losing their quarterback North Carolina's losing their quarterback there really is no excuse for Miami um, with Tyler Van Dyke and and what, what should be a very talented offense from winning the division this, uh, this coming season. And so, you know, Manny didn't leave the cupboard bare by any stretch of the imagination. He had two good recruiting classes. The difference is, in my opinion, uh, he gambled on having a good year this year and it backfired. And he just got off the, I mean, the Eric King's injury, everything that sort of just got them off on the right, uh, on the wrong foot, um, hurt their recruiting class. And, and in the end, Miami felt this great pressure to do something because of what Herb Street said on national television. If it really did push this entire movement to get the president involved, and you mentioned Tad Foote, and, it, and it's almost like, well, now the president, you know, 30 years later, instead of fighting with the football coach, he's saving football at Miami in a lot of ways by saying, hey, we're going to open up the coffers and we're going to spend money. Uh, we're in a better position financially and we're going to help contribute to this. Um, and so it's 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 definitely a very unique time being around Miami football to see this. I think a lot of people never envisioned this day coming. None of the players did, uh, even though they got in the ACC and you thought, well, they're making more money, right? They're, they're, they're going to spend more on coaching and they did in their own way, but Mark Rick was still giving a million dollars out of his own money to fund the indoor practice facility. Now, all of a sudden you got $80 million for a football coach and a guarantee that they'll spend more money than Clemson on assistance. I mean, this is unbelievable to go from from where Miami has operated for so long, like you said, being the school didn't have anything and, and the players rejoicing in that almost, right? Like Alonzo Highsmith and Melvin Bratton have said, we were the school that didn't have shit in their words. And we and we love that. That that sort of invigorated us. Well, now Miami's going to have a lot and, and it's going to help Mario. And he wouldn't have come. He wouldn't have come if he didn't have the guarantee that all this was as much as his heart, I think, was tugging him to, to come here. Um he wouldn't have come without some of these guarantees. So uh, to me, I, you know, what, what, what's happened this week is, is very special if you're a Miami fan um, because the program has moved in the direction that you've needed it to to actually have a chance. Because, Bruce, in my mind, without spending this money, without getting Mario, I don't know where Miami goes. I think they're a middling ACC team for years to come. Yeah, I, I think one of the challenges for them is what is the identity of the place? Like when when Mark Rick, Mark Rick did two things I thought well when he got there. The first was the financial piece of helping kind of get things going um, on that side where it was lacking. The other one is 
Manny on the other side of the ball, whether it's turnover chain or he did a lot of things well, at least, you know, offensively it was a disaster, but at least the defensive side had some, had some energy to it. Obviously it didn't get going fast enough here in those three years. I liked the right last higher. Um, I thought some of the things were, I don't know if it felt like it was too little too late or, you know, where, where it, it was, but without Mario, like I often thought like, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me if Lane would have jumped at this job. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of Miami people who would like, who, who are intrigued by Lane. He's an offensive guy. He is a, he has an edge to him, right? Say what you want. Like, um, you know, obviously Jimmy Johnson had a, had really has an edge to him, right? I don't know if I would say Butch necessarily has that in his persona, but Butch was a really good evaluator of talent and that showed up a lot. And then it went to Larry Coker, who the thing was already had a lot of momentum and Larry was able to steer it for a while before it t- started to backslide. And when you go through Randy, who knew the, knew the, knew the connection to the program and understood a lot of things there, but he couldn't get the offense. Like, I think he was on his like 10th offensive coordinator option when it happened. And I just felt like, but they weren't getting money either, Bruce. That was the problem. That was the complaint I kept getting from Randy was, you know, he took me out to lunch one day and he said to me, he goes, look, I, we're, we're trying to win here, but I got one hand tied behind my back. And that, and, and Manny, I think the thing to that was we don't need, like, we don't need to do anything to get this guy to take the job was how the perception was. Hey, he's an assistant. He, you know, it's like, he's from here. We don't, I think the biggest thing that's helped ramp things up and you, you know, you mentioned Kirk's comments certainly on, on game day were big. I also think that Mario had, because he was at Oregon, because he was doing really well, because it was not just Phil Knight's, you know, program, but also I think because he, he had pushed for a lot of things that they like, he was like, these are the things that need to happen if we're going to compete for championships. And they did it. And I know he was very like appreciative and he was very vocal of it. So it wasn't just like, Hey, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to go someplace else. I truly believe like I had a conversation with him right around when USC came open. I don't know if it was before, I don't know if it was after, but it was early in the season. And I know sincerely how much he thought, how good he thinks the 2022 and 2023 ducks teams are going to be. And I know how, like, like, I don't think it was lip service, how he felt about Oregon. So I think the idea that like, maybe he's going to stay there. Like all the, I think the part that was like, they didn't get it was like the people who are on the Northwest or, you know, or maybe in PAC 12 media, I think looked at Miami the way they've seen Miami for the last 15 years. I don't think they know like I don't think they obviously know how Mario feels about South Florida, how Mario and how, feels and about how he views the potential. Yeah, really. and I think and that like I I can't tell you how many times it's like you know I ran into a Miami assistant somewhere at the at, at the airport. I was like, what the hell are you doing? You should be in your cars. Why are you leaving? You know. Mm-hmm. And so he has so much belief in the talent in South Florida that. Um, I, I think that there was a lot of reasons for, you know, for UM to realize, all right, we need to make this happen because I think they had seen we've tried everything else and it's not worked. I want to get to a few questions because I did ask uh, some fans to send some stuff in. So I have some mailback stuff for you later. But some some of the things I lined up here just because they're important topics. Um, Miami obviously felt it was very important to get a, a strong athletic director like Dan Radakovich uh, here. Um Dan, of course, you know, won national championships with Dabo. 
uh, at Clemson and, and was at LSU also with Nick Saban. So you have two guys who have come from the Nick Saban tree with Cristobal um, and Radakovich, at least where, where they were around him while he was winning championships. Um, where, I mean, I, I don't know if I, it's the right phrasing here, but power duo, right? Football coach, athletic director. Where does this put Miami, the, having these two guys together in, in the national landscape in your mind? I think it puts them on a level playing field with the, the schools that compete for real national titles, right? I mean, sometimes it's not coming. It usually doesn't come in pairings like this did within the same week. You know, like you start at the top of the food chain. Nick Saban's the greatest college football coach of all time. His AD, Greg Byrne, is really smart and he's very proven. Greg Byrne came way later, right? So mm -hmm. I think he is a great asset to Nick Saban where a lot of times, um, you know, it's like football is different there, right? They're good. They're really good in other sports too. But, you know, you go through the list. It's hard to find somewhere where it's like a weak link of the two, right? You know, and I think it helps that Dan Radakovich was at UM. I don't know what it is, 35 years ago. And he yeah, started out his career in the yep. Schnellenberger time. And he saw it. It wasn't like one of these people who, you know, it's, it's weird. Cause I, I, Miami's had not quite, it doesn't feel like as much of a, of a merry-go-round of ADs, you know, but like Kirby was there for a while. I thought, you know, I think Kirby knows what he's doing, you know, but it was just, you know, he was going to go back to Texas or was going to go back to somewhere. Then there was the guy, from Nebraska, I, he was there. For, yeah. yeah, he was there for like <laughs> two cups of coffee, and I don't, remember, I don't know what happened, you know, kind of thing. And it just felt like, like I think Blake was, you know, he understood Miami. I mean, the thing I had heard from people inside the program was just like he didn't make the, you know, the hire was hurting him, right? And so this, you know, like, look, I, I think Miami for all the talk about like there was a lot of it, especially on social media, about what a disaster situation is going on um it seemed like it's worked out really well right mm -hmm. if it was a if it was a bleep show which it you know which it felt like maybe for 36 hours because you know there was um there was some i think there were premature reports that radakovich was definitely going to be the guy and i know from talking to a source really close to the process was like that's may happen, but we're not there. It's not there. You know, that kind of thing. It's there's other people involved and, and, um, but to land on how it's landed, I mean, man, if you're a, if you, if you're a university Miami, like fan, who's been through it a lot and you live in South Florida and you're like looking around going, well, Florida state's been down. Florida, Florida hasn't been very good. Something's missing here. One of us should be kicking ass. Right. We're not. <laughs> And so maybe <laughs> now's that time. Yeah, I, I definitely think the opportunity is there. And and as I was told by somebody in, my, in Miami's administration over the weekend while all this was going on, not only are we, are we trying to take Phil Knight's coach, but we're going after, you know, the 800-pound gorilla in Clemson who's who's weakened right now, right? Well, I mean, Dabo's basically had <laughs> – I mean, if, if his offensive coordinator leaves, which it looks like he might, I mean, he's going to lose his coordinator, his AD – and his defensive coordinator, that's that's one way you take down the six-time, you know, ACC champs. And, Manny, as you know, they're coming off a, like, real dud of a season by Clemson standards, right? So mm -hmm. I'm not saying, you know, they're going to have a bunch of dudes in the transfer portal and it's going to completely turn. But, like, this wasn't like a blip year, right? You know, they, they, they definitely struggled. And now that they have big staff changes coming. Brent Venables was an integral part 
of, you know, our colleague Grace Rayner wrote, I think that was like the most important hire Dabo made. And it's hard to argue that because of how good they were on that side of the ball. And, you know, he was a really good recruiter and, and we'll see what life after, you know, 20, you know, after the season is going to be like for Clemson. Like, I'm not saying they're going to never go back to making a playoff, but they're, you know, we've seen Nick Saban lose assistance left and right. And he only gets stronger, right? Whereas this will be an interesting kind of inflection point with Clemson. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. So you're obviously very plugged into the coaching scene. Everybody wants to know who's going to be a part of this staff for Cristobal. There's always rumors early in the process. Um, I feel, you know, I, I feel like I fling a bunch of them at you all the time in our Slack channels because I trust you and I know you know what you're talking about. And I, and it's so difficult with the amount of rumors that come out of this of the city. So I apologize for that. Um, but let's talk some names of coaches you think make sense. And before you start, I want to mention a couple that are uh, kind of set in stone here. Alex Mirabal, I know, will be the offensive line coach. He's Mario's best friend. They played together at Columbus. Uh, they've coached together for a while now. Aaron Feld, I've been told he's going to be the strength coach. He's the... Uh, He's, he's known for making those intense videos, of course, with, with, the, with the great mustache. The mustache, yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then Oregon's receivers coach, Brian McClendon, who I know is coaching Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. That's the other rumored future hire here that he will be on staff. I know he's a great recruiter. He's a former coordinator, if I'm not mistaken, right at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but let's start with the coordinators because obviously those guys are going to bring some of their own. They're not just going to come empty-handed. Um I've seen the name Joe Brady thrown around. That's the hot name. Everybody in Miami is getting all excited about Joe Brady because he won the national title at LSU. And they're like, wow, this guy would be great with Tyler Van Dyke and all these receivers, right? Let's start with that rumor and maybe why it it does or doesn't make sense in your mind. So Joe is from about a half hour away, um, you know, not, you know, around Miramar. That's where he grew up. And Joe is super smart. Um, what I noticed, I was around him a lot when I worked on the LSU book I did a couple of years ago, was, you know, they had, yeah, Joe Burrow was an all-time season, but they had Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall. Um, and he had a really good relationship with those players. I mean, he just, you know, you'd see him, his rapport with them, I thought really caught my eye. Uh, he wasn't, the, he actually wasn't the offensive coordinator of that team. He was the pass game coordinator and he really handled red zone and third downs and he was really good at it. Um, I think in a lot of ways that would be a huge hire if Mario makes this. The one part I would be curious to see if it goes this direction is we've always heard from people who know Joe well that he probably likes the NFL more than college. Obviously, it didn't work out with the Panthers. I mean, it didn't work out. You know, they went on and on Sam Darnold and that was not not a good prudent move right but so i don't know if he tries to stay in the nfl um if he tries to do college you know he didn't really spend a full year as a college coach so the recruiting piece was different for him and i don't know the answer to this but like you know as i mentioned edo's run has some similarities to mario cristobal in their approach to recruiting is that something where you know, you, you want to work for a guy who is like a werewolf when it comes to recruiting and all in and all the time, or is it draw, you know, doing game plans and, and whatnot. There are certain guys like when Cliff Kingsbury was at Texas A&M and later when he was at Texas tech, I think he loved drawn up plays and that side of it and game planning and, and, and those things. I'm not saying Joe is exactly that way, but 
that would be my one, you know, like whoever gets them, I think will make, you know, will, will, that will be a terrific hire. I know it didn't work out in Carolina, but I know how good he was at LSU. Um, He is, and this is another aspect of it. He is a disciple of Joe Moorhead, you know, who knows Joe Moorhead really well and has (laughs) used that system. Mario Cristobal. So (laughs) I would not at all be surprised if he made the move. Like I said, it's home. I think he knows like they have a selling point now in, in Tyler Van Dyke. Right. I mean, you could, I don't want to say buy low, sell high, but it's not like, you know, you get him. Um, and the thing is, you know, you can get receivers at Miami, right? It's just like, you know, how much talent is there. I, th- I think you can get it from the portal. I mean, look, the Charleston Rambo went, you know, up to stock last year or this past year. So I would think he would be a big target. Uh, let's just let's leave it at that for now. Any other names that, in your mind, make sense for offensive coordinator or some other position coaches? Just just knowing Mario and guys he's had in the past. I, I, Frank Ponce, I know coach with him at FIU. He's of course the the offensive coordinator at Appalachian State. I know Frank was disappointed. He didn't even get a phone call from FIU for the for yeah. the job that was filled this morning. Uh, but Frank's a Miami guy, Miami native. Uh, that's one other name I, I could think of off the bat. Are there any others that make sense to you? You know, Mario, when it, when he hired Moorhead, I want to say he interviewed like 11 guys. And like he is super thorough when it comes to these. Like he will turn over stone, like every stone. You know, I think in that process, you know, he he interviewed Tommy Reese, who, you know, was a younger coach at Notre Dame. He interviewed Jed Fish, who ended up getting the Arizona job later, but he went, you know, into NFL. He obviously, you know, really liked Moorhead. Um, and, you know, he interviewed George Munoz, who was like kind of the behind the scenes guy who did really well uh, helping uh, helping their offense, the national side. And George is a Florida guy, too. And he had been an OC. I, um, you know, I, I haven't, you know, talked to either one about would he end up on the Miami staff in some capacity? I don't know. But I know like he was a guy who was impressive in that in in that process as well. Um you know, there's, there's certain guys who are like, man, this guy's, a, I think, does a really good job. I just don't know if he fits with what, you know, like there's a guy who works for Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina, Willie Korn, and he does a really good job with what they do. It's just, I don't know if that's what, you know, that kind of system where there's option elements of it is what Mario would want to run. You know, you look at certain guys, you're like, okay, you know, I don't see Mario Cristobal wanting to bring the air raid to, um, you know, to South Florida. Um, yeah, he said so, he wants to run. He, he wants to be multiple, and obviously, running running the ball is important to him as a lineman. He wants, and Miami didn't run the ball great. I mean, they had some guys who flashed at times this year, but the offensive line remains a, a work in progress. And that is his biggest. I think that's ultimately his biggest challenge. Like, you know, I think it took him three years to probably get the O line room kind of where he wanted it to be. Like, he had you know parts. Obviously, Penaisul was a great player, and he had some really good players. But I think that was a big part. And I don't know. You know, just from knowing Garen Justice pretty well, I know that there were challenges there in terms of like, you know, you, you're finding transfers here. You know, you're one injury away from big problems, you know, at Miami just because you don't you didn't have the numbers. So I think that is ultimately going to be Mario Cristobal's biggest challenge is 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 stocking the O-line room the way he wants it to be. He will get edge players who can rush the quarterback. He will you know, you have a potential, you know, first round quarterback receivers are going to want to come, right. You know, like 
Now, as you know, like Knight and Flash last year, he you know this past year, I keep wanting to say last year, this past year, um, you had a stud running back who's been injured the whole time. We'll see when he gets healthy, what he can do. I mean, so I don't think it's going to be that hard for Miami to, to bring skill talent around Tyler Van Dyke. And I also think that's a selling point for whoever ends up taking the OC job. You know, it's like Mario's an O-line guy. You know, Mirabal's really good, you know, as a as a um, knows what he wants. It's just like that's something that's hard to like, you know, if that's not turnkey, I guess. Yeah. We'll, we'll obviously never know whether or not Manny Diaz would have been forced uh, to hire a defensive coordinator after what happened this past season. But certainly something was going to have to change because they didn't get any better. And the, and the tackling was was pretty bad. Yes, they've got young, talented guys, uh, but there are needs at linebacker, certainly cornerback. There were a lot of blown coverages in the secondary big plays. They were exposed uh, against Alabama and other teams. Um, there's one interesting name that I threw at you this week uh, uh, that somebody had tossed my way was uh, Georgia's uh, Glenn Schumann, the, the uh, co-defensive coordinator and inside linebackers coach. Um, I know you mentioned to me uh, he had interviewed with with Mario before at Oregon, or at least had conversations with him. Yeah. Um, what 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 do you think of that fit? And and are there other guys in your mind from the defensive side that make sense for help for helping get this thing right? I think you know I know Mario's got a pretty good relationship with Kirby, and I know he was impressed by him. He's a younger coach. He's kind of got I don't want to call him like savant guy, but he's like very very smart and like. One of these guys you often hear about these guys on the offensive side of the ball who just kind of Lincoln Riley ish. Right. And there's some people who think he could be that guy. Right. And so right now um, he's behind a third, another like 35 year old defensive coordinator. who's done a terrific job. So I don't know if he's going to, you know, say, all right, I'm going to, I want my shot now. Right. As you said, like this Miami job is different now in terms of how people look at it, but uh, I, I would not be surprised if they really made a gave a long look at him. You know. By the way, just on a aside, mm-hmm. we're talking about Manny. Um, you know who had a really good year as a defensive coordinator? Somebody you you covered last year who ended up going to Logan, Utah. Oh yeah, I was I was around that team, and <laughs> Ephraim got it going. And you watched them like they kicked San Diego State's butt, and I was like, good for him because he got his shot. And they were super aggressive and he tried, you know, he took some of the stuff he's kind of learned from, you know, he was in our production meeting. He's talking about Jimmy Johnson stuff on the D line and the way this was, and, and they were undersized and they had a bunch of transfers, but again, I'm not saying he should be the DC here at Miami now, but it just like Miami fans will obviously know that name. And yeah. I maybe they forgot he did a really, really good job this year. Yeah. And, I, and, and it's his credit, you know, he recruited all these safeties that Miami ended up bringing in here, the James Williams, the Avante Williams, uh, Cam Kitchens, who's, who was a pleasant surprise. I don't think Cam Kitchens thought- made like one of the biggest plays of the season, right? That yeah. tackle on the edge mm-hmm. was like, was it fourth and one? I don't remember. Like, but like that yeah. was a huge play for them. And at Pitt, when he read the uh, trick play on the two point conversion where he came over and he, and he covered, uh, their quarterback picket. Um, like it was just, you could see a very cerebral player. I mean, they've got three, I think, really good safeties, um, which I'm interested to see how the next defensive coordinator comes in and gets them all on the field at the same time because they probably all need to be playing a ton. Um, 
All right, this is one other name, and this is just because Mitch Sherman, our, our Nebraska beat writer at The Athletic, does great work. He, he mentioned him to me this morning. He said Travis Fisher as a possibility of somebody who probably wants to get out of Nebraska. Um, I know Miami already obviously has T-Rob, and people have mentioned to me maybe he stays on staff, but Fisher I know is a very good recruiter. He's pulled a lot of kids from Florida to Nebraska. Um, is there any connection with him and Mario? I'm curious. I, not, I don't know if there is, you know, okay. one of the names that, that I wouldn't be surprised if it popped up is Mario's cornerbacks coach, Rod Chance. I don't know if you mm-hmm. know him, but Rod played at St. Thomas Aquinas. He's been a defensive coordinator. He's a really sharp. I don't even, he's not even that young, but he's fairly young. Um, like he's somebody I would like, oh, I could see him ended up in South, South Florida. I mean, he's, He's from there. He's he's done a really good job at a bunch of places he's been. So um, of, of the rest of that staff, you know, Mario's old D.C. Tim DeRuiter is now going to be the D.C. at Texas Tech. Um, the safeties coach, Marcel Yates, is going there, too. So you have some of those. The linebacker coach, Ken Wilson, I think he may end up as the head coach in Nevada. Mm. And then Joe Salovey, the D-line coach, has been, you know, a West Coast guy most of his career career so i don't know if that's a that's a move or not so um we'll see it's it's interesting i mean uh this is going to be an uh, an interesting uh few weeks coming up because uh, the rumor mill is going to go nuts we've got signing day in a week and mario's just going bananas i mean he he literally didn't take his suit off after the press conference he went to to three in-home visits in a high school right afterward as a madman all right i want to get to some mailback stuff and i know you got to go so i want to try to get to it as quickly as possible um, this is from David Engelson on Twitter. Have either of you studied the program Coach Cristobal built with Phil Knight's money at Oregon? I'm assuming he wouldn't have left there unless the administration promised him the same levels of analysts, trainers, etc. Just how monumental of an undertaking is this going to be for Miami? I don't know how many analysts he had there. Do you know? Do you know how, I mean, how many people he had at Oregon? Yeah, I don't think it was the level of Alabama, right? Okay. You know, I know some of the guys who work behind the scenes. It's more, it, you know, I don't think... I don't think that was the the piece that was different. I think the piece that's different is on the recruiting side of saying, you know, if you're in Eugene, Oregon, you have to have certain travel, you know, you have travel challenges that you won't have in necessarily, it, you know, when the hub of where your home base is going to be is South Florida. Like I said, you could drive to it. But I think some of those other things that he's asking for, I think that they've had to get in line. The, the, the thing that I keep coming back to is, you know, when Mario was at, at Alabama, he took really good notes about what he thought neat were critical pieces to competing for championships. And I think those are became non-negotiable probably because I'm going to be very, I'm going to be very demanding and I'm going, it's not, I'm not, it's not going to be easy to, to support this necessarily. Like we need you to be all in on what we're asking. And from my understanding, Oregon has been. And was so I would expect for him to have left left Oregon in the situation he had. I don't think Miami can't isn't going to be half ass in it. Let's say that. Okay. Uh, Same question. He asked multiple questions, but this was another a good one. Only because I haven't been around Mario and I I didn't notice. Did did Oregon have a turnover chain or anything like that? Do Do you think Coach Cristobal will allow his teams to show a lot of swagger, or is he a strict disciplinarian? How much fun does he actually have on the field? You know, he is an intense lineman in the trenches, fiery guy. I didn't see anything like a turnover chain when I was around them. 
um, what helped him. And he, he is, was very, um, very detailed in this when he had Panay Sewell, for instance, he would talk about the way Panay Sewell practiced and how it, you know, it reminded him of the Miami stuff. And I think, so what you will, what you will hear more about is the Monday through Friday, what that's like. And I think you will hear a lot about what he remembered at Miami from those days of practice and grueling and punishing and physical. And I think he will be more about that than he will be about anything else. I mean, you know, when you look at, at the players in that program, you know, the biggest star they had when he was there was Justin Herbert, who was like, you know, an awesome dude. And he's like 4.0 student, but he's not exactly, you know, going to be turnover chain guy. You know, he's very humble and low key. And I don't know, like, you know, both Sewell's, you know, the, the one on the offensive line, the one at linebacker who are great players. I don't think they were guys that really were that way. Right. So I think it kind of played to the personality of kind of what Mario is that I don't think he will be restrictive because, you know, he grew up watching Michael Irvin, you know, and what he was like at Miami, he played with Warren Sapp. Right. So I think he knows exactly what, you know, like there's different ways to do it. Right. But I think he knows what, like, I don't think he's going to be restrictive of personality because he knows how that worked at Miami. And he knows how that, how honestly, how attractive that was. Yeah. And, and I think how, how much it, it jacked guys up guys needed to play with that kind of intensity. Um, all right. I'm, this is questions from two Jasons. One is Kane's chief and the other one is Jason real hip hop. So I want you guys to know I, I got your questions, but it's, I'm gonna make a combination of this because the topic is sort of the same. What, what areas have you seen the biggest growth in his ability to lead a program and what are his biggest weaknesses as a head coach? I think the areas of growth is he is meticulous in recruiting process, but he's meticulous in, I go back to the coordinator hires, like he was going to turn over a lot of stones to do this. Right. And Joe Moorhead was a terrific hire. Tim Druder was a good hire. He had what I thought was a very good staff, you know? Um, so I think those pieces were were good i think that that was an area of growth but if you want to look back look at the guys who were on his staff at fiu scott satterfield ended up being a really good head coach uh you look back at jeff collins he's a head coach now i mean there were a bunch todd orlando was on that staff there were like guys who were took off from there the other thing i'll say is the first person i ever heard mention the name chip kelly was mario cristobal when he, when he got the job at Oregon as an offensive coordinator, he goes, this guy from New Hampshire is going to tear it up. I'd never, I didn't know who he was. Like Mario knew that stuff. So it's great. Like, <laughs> you know, one of the things that's hard for people to kind of, when Jim Harbaugh had it going at Stanford and even like later on when he went to the Niners and got, you know, got them to the Super Bowl, it's hard sometimes for people like us in the media to, kind of quantify what makes certain coaches really good or certain coaches great. You know, we can do that if it's Lincoln Riley. We can do that if it's Chip Kelly. We can do it if they're the scheme X and O guy who like kind of, you know, it's Mike Leach. That's what he does. It's one side of the ball or whatever. It's harder when it's like those guys are, those guys lead programs, you know? And I think what, what I'm getting at was Harbaugh had put together a really good staff when he was at Stanford. Um, and in the case, and I, he's done it honestly again now with Mike McDonald and Josh Gaddis, you know, those big pieces at, at Michigan, 
But I think Mario, I go back to the guys he hired at FIU. Those turned out to be really good coaches who were big time guys at a program that was certainly not big time. And I think he did that at Oregon. So that to me, that is like an underrated strength of his. And maybe that fits into the category of evaluating. You're evaluating players, recruits, you're evaluating coaches, whatever it is. I don't think that gets discussed enough from a, from a, a weakness standpoint. I mean, you'll hear a lot and you, he's not alone in this where it's like, how well is he in game management situations? But I think the workaround on that was or is you hire smart staff that will help you on, um, you know, clock management situations on certain things where whether you have an analyst or it is somebody who is a former offensive coordinator who is, you know, kind of by your side to give you suggestions and keep you in the moment. Because a lot of times, especially for old line guys, they're just, you know, physically consumed by in the trenches and certain certain aspects of it. And I think, you, you know, if you if you surround yourself with really sharp people who have different strengths, I think those those are things you can really remedy pretty quickly. When you were describing his strengths and, and being able to identify coaches, it, it reminded me more of Jimmy Johnson than anything else. I mean, that maybe that's more of the Mario comparison, uh, not just the recruiting aspect, but being able to identify coaches. That's that's really was Jimmy's strength as well, obviously. Yeah, and Jimmy was uh, considered like the greatest evaluator in like modern college football or even NFL yeah. now. So um, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see about how – he continues to grow. Right. So I do think he grew a lot from what he learned in Tuscaloosa. And I honestly think he's probably learned a lot, not just from the guys who was around in Oregon, but I think the, the behind the scenes, people, the Phil Knights, Rob Mullins, I think some of those people who, you know, probably taught him certain things about management, management style and different things that I think, because when he was at FIU and you know, this well, was like, it was, you know, it's Pete Garcia. It was kind of a, <laughs> I mean, it felt like it was running like a small, like a small junior college at times. Yeah. Um, last two, and this is from Los at Coach Los on Twitter. Uh, two questions, and I'll, and I'll give them to you back to back so we can write out on this. Once Saban retires, can you see Mario being the next top guy at Alabama? And what needs to happen for Kane Mutiny to, and, he, and this is a, a postscript, Come do Manny's pod more often. He's cooler than Stu. Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> well, we know you're cooler than Stu. So that's um, – I I don't think Mario is like – he's not, to me, he's not an NFL guy. To me, like, I don't see why he would feel like, oh, I'm going to leave. If if it's going well for, my, for, for Mario at Miami, why would he leave to go to Tuscaloosa? To follow no. Saban, who want? I mean, honestly, uh, good luck to the person who's going to follow Nick Saban. That, those are huge shoes to fill. But I, I mean, so if it's going to go well for him, he ain't leaving for that job, right? This is home. Like his boys are now, like I don't know, they're fifth and sixth grade, I think, yeah. or something like that. 10, 10, 11 years old. Yep. Ten or eleven years old. So they're like probably eight years away from being out of the house. Um, I, I and I have no idea how old lose kids are, any of that stuff. But like, I, I'd be surprised, like, this is a guy who I don't see leaving for another job if it goes well. Um, and on the other side of the cane mutiny too, I would actually, I can't do this because I have young kids, but I would like the meat market version of, of Mario Cristobal 
recruiting and taking over and how he is, um, I think would be fascinating to do that, um, to kind of witness it. I mean, I've seen a little bit of his recruiting when I went up there to visit relative, I could actually tell you when it was, cause I happened to be there when I, when some, some, uh, recruit was up there one, I don't know, I was there for like two or three days. So I've seen a little bit of it, but I mean, I think that would be so fascinating because we know a little about how passionate he is about recruiting, but in terms of process and all those other things, like I'll, I will read anything I can about that stuff because I think that is ultimately going to be what makes the difference here. You know, it's just, I mean, there's been some good players who've come through me, you know, come through Miami, whether it's, you know, you know, Jalen Phillips on one side, who's like, you know, gets a second chance and takes off or Greg Rousseau, who was a kind of under the radar guy who blossomed. But by and large, it's like it hasn't been that influx of, oh, here we go now, you know, kind of guys. And so, um, I mean, not that you you didn't ask me this part, but like, like, I will be surprised if this is not a, a big, big change in terms of like, if you asked me and you didn't, but if you asked me, would I bet that Miami will be a playoff team within the next five years? I would say yes, because I think wow. he will recruit that well. If you had asked me about Mark Rick doing that, I would have said no. I think I did. Like I was like, you know, I didn't think he had the energy coming off of Georgia at that stage of his to do what he needs to do. You know, um, I thought Manny had a chance, but you know. He, it was still a big TBD with a lot of things and how he run the program and everything like that. Um, I thought Randy Shannon would have done better, but as we talked about resource wise, it wasn't there. And I think he could not get the staffing piece, right. Um, and there were all sorts of other things that were challenges around it. Um, Golden didn't recruit, didn't recruit the way he needed to recruit. He recruited like he was still at a mid major. Right. Oh. wanting to run a, a scheme that just would never work with the players in his backyard, you know, try to turn Anthony Ciccolo into a 295-pound yeah, right. tackle. It just didn't fit. Um, Bruce, this was fun. I know you got to run, but we got we to gotta get you on more often. Yeah, uh, hey, listen, anytime. I feel, like, I feel like when it's Miami-related, just because of so much of my, you know, background, like the first book I did was a Miami book, and just having been there, having worked down there, um, you know, I mean, like I was it just, I don't know. It's, it's just like, you don't, you don't like forget that, you know, you don't like, you kind of know what the place is like. Whenever I'd hear about somebody say, what's the loudest stadium you've ever been in? Well, I'd be like, well, you know what actually is the loudest. It doesn't exist anymore. But like, if you go see Miami Florida state game, there was nothing like it. Right. And, um, you know, I just remember being in, you know, like just so many crazy Miami games you know and it's been all it's been a long time since it's been like nationally relevant right where mm -hmm. they feel like a heavyweight even when they beat notre dame and they blew notre dame out that you know whenever it was like 2017 or 18 um you know it felt it was a surprise right you know it's like it didn't feel like miami had like you know miami used to have like a mike tyson feel about it mm-hmm and it just didn't feel like they had the knockout punch for a long time. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's so it's so surreal. We all point back to that one night with Notre Dame where it felt like that again. And I can tell you, Rudy Fernandez was there that night. And, you know, 
if Julio Frank picks somebody else to do this, I don't think we're here. This is a mm. guy who grew up going to the Orange Bowl, um, you know, just loving the Canes. And they needed somebody like that, like a Paul D type of love for Miami to spearhead this. And I can tell you from from talking to him behind the scenes throughout this whole process, like he was not going to give up until he got Mario. Like he was going to try his damnedest. And you know, it just it worked out for them, and it, and and I'm happy because after 20 years of this, Bruce, where it's been like, what what the hell happened to Miami? When are they going to get it together? Uh, it's 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 fun for to be around a, a program that has juice again because it, it, it so many times it just felt like, oh, here we go again. You know, here we go yeah. again. They're going to fall apart again. You know what's cool? That's one last. I don't want to stretch you out on this, but yeah. one last thing is like, now I work at Fox. I'm around Jimmy Johnson a little, not a lot, but occasionally, and it's like. You know, this guy's a legend in coaching and Dallas Cowboys and been, a, you know, it's like the University of Miami has his heart. You know, it's like he didn't grow up in Miami. He wasn't there all that long, but it's like, like he identifies with it in a, like in a way that's pretty, you know, pretty awesome. And there are certain people you look at, you know, if like, if Miami had play cards, you know, on the sideline where all these people have these goofy things or whatever, you can see certain you know, things where it's like, they have this, you know, it's like Miami has Jimmy Johnson, Miami has gray beard, cigar, Ed Reed still, you know, or whatever. <laughs> There's like certain things that like, they are, they are Rushmore kind of things, you know, and it's just at this point, all, you know, Miami's only had history and it's only feels like, it's like they need to, and all those things are kind of in black and white or they're in low def TV and now they need to be in HD and it's, you know, Miami hasn't been good since there's been HD. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Bruce, thank you again for coming on. And uh, this was fun. I hope Miami fans enjoyed the week. This is a great way to p- sort of put a uh, exclamation point on it. Make sure to uh, follow uh, Bruce on Twitter. Uh, where are you going to be? Where's your bowl uh, destination? I don't know yet. Um, okay. This has all been a blur just to get through this week. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I'm, you know, I'll probably go to the couple of the local bowls in, in Southern California just because they're easy. And I, I don't know if I just go to the coaches convention this year. I'm going to try to get down to South Florida mm-hmm. at some point in the next couple of months. But um, I do want to say, Manny, I mean, I was fired up when we hired you um, to cover Miami because I knew you are a Miami guy, you know, and so um, I think you've been a great asset for us. And I think, you know, I, I mean, I read all, like, I try to read most of our beat writers, but yours is different just because I, you know, it's Miami, but you've been a great asset. And I think people, because the program is now going to become nationally relevant again, um, I think that's going to be something more people are going to notice uh, at the, more of our readers, just because, you know, Miami had been a niche for a while, you know, and I think it's going to be a lot more than that now. Well, Bruce, I appreciate it. I've always uh, looked up to you and, and admired uh, the great work you've done, man. And uh, it's great that we're able to hook up and do this podcast so people can just hear, um, you know, it's an important week. Like I said, man, people just needed to, to have your voice. And I'm glad we got you on. No, anytime, anytime. Keep up the great work. Three, oh, five, nine, five, four, five, six, eight.